0: Hello everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of Lit AF with me, your host, Sarah Cohan. I am so excited for today's interview. I interview Pastor Megan or Reverend Dr. Megan Roar, depending on how you like to call them. Um, And even if religion is not your thing, this episode is definitely worth a listen. Their story is phenomenal and so inspiring. So who's Megan? Megan is the first openly transgender pastor in the Lutheran church. We talk about Megan's journey from finally deciding to accepting the call to being a pastor and then pushing the Lutheran church to accepting them as an ordinary pastor rather than extraordinary. Although, you know, I kind of like that extraordinary title. I'm sure Megan did too. (laughs) We also discuss faith in modern times which I think is really pertinent right now. Uh, We talk about what it was like to be on this season of Queer Eye. We also talk about the different names for different pastor garments, which I found very fascinating. (laughs) And we end with a blessing. (laughs) I hope you enjoy this episode. And without further ado, we're just going to jump right in.
1: By building creeks, by the way. So if it sounds like the world is falling down, that's just because they built it themselves in the 1940s without permits.
0: Excellent. (laughs) And today is quite the windy day. So yeah, excellent. I love it. Cool. Well, I'm so excited, you guys, to welcome the Reverend Dr. Megan Rohrer. They are the first openly transgender pastor ordained in the Lutheran Church, the pastor of Grace Lutheran Church, and the community chaplain coordinator for the San Francisco Police Department. Megan served for over a decade as a chaplain for the homeless and hungry in San Francisco. Uh, they are an award-winning filmmaker, musician, and historian. Megan was a finalist for the Lambda Literary Award, received an honorable mention as an unsung hero of compassion by wisdom and action with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. I'm loving this. And has been featured on Queer Eye, Cosmo, and in Wittenberg, Germany, for the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. So exciting.
1: You make me sound very impressive. I like it. Good
0: job. (laughs) Well, it was pulled from your website, so (laughs) I love it. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, and I should say Megan's preferred pronouns, are they them? And – I am just so excited to talk to you today. I attended um, your service yesterday and was just overcome Ooh. with so much. I was like joy and love and tears. And it's like been years since I've been to a service. And you're just so opening and welcoming, or open and welcoming. And you've got a black Jesus in the background. So I'm just like, there's so much here. And I'm like so, so, so excited. So. To open it up, I would love to hear about your journey. From the very beginning, I'm hoping this is the longest story about your journey into being the first openly transgender pastor in the Lutheran church. Did you grow up with God? How did you know this was your path? And then I want to hear all the juicy details of of doing it. Yeah. Pastoring? Yeah, pastoring. It's a verb. Uh, So I grew up
1: in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And in South Dakota, Lutherans are like Jewish people in New York. It's very (laughs) cultural, like everybody's Lutheran.
0: Um,
1: And I mean, there are Catholics, but they also kind of talk Lutheran in their worship services. And so um, like going to church and church rituals were just a part of my like normal life. And like even... Even like schools in South Dakota, they don't have any like sports or after school programming on Wednesdays because they assume you're going to church.
0: Whoa.
1: On, like, wow. Wednesday. So like it's it's just kind of built into the rhythm. You can't purchase alcohol on Sundays, things like that. Wow. None of those are like Lutheran beliefs, but you know, it's just the rhythms, right? And so, um, so I kind of like grew up in kind of Lutheran community Lutherans, for those who who haven't heard of them before, we're Christians who don't keep score, right? So we don't think points matter (laughs) with going to heaven. That's kind of the the simple way to talk about it. (laughs) Love that. Yeah, we think God did all the work to save us and claim that we're good, so we can't possibly screw up something Jesus did over 2000 years ago. So instead of worrying about who's in and who's out, on our best days when we get it right, we put our time and energy that we save into caring for the poor and doing justice. That's kind of, that's, that's the best of our theology, whether or not we live it out a hundred percent of the time. Love that. that that's every faith's figuring out. Right. Right. Um, and so I always just kind of grew up believing that language. We, we baptize people as babies with this idea that no matter how much you F up your life in the future, God, has named you and claimed you right Mm. and and that that ritual is about a community coming together to say we're going to accept you and love you no matter what choices you make next right so it's it's like a promise into an unknown future the way that that lutherans do baptism wow so where that goes awry is when people think that choices later on in your life maybe nullify those rituals. And so we just remind each other, like, no, that whole named and claimed thing lasts forever. You don't have to redo it. We don't believe in more than one baptism. Like, it's good forever. Um, And so kind of growing up in that theology and in that culture, I uh, went to college also in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, at the world famous Augustana and Augustana University. I'm oh, yeah, sure that one. Yes. Uh huh. <laughs> and that that school, um, I started off as a art major, right? So if you see a lot of art in the background,
0: ah,
1: I was a sculpture major. So making a a twelve foot tall Jesus puppet for the Pride Parade.
0: Yes.
1: Okay. yes. Right. Um, yes. And then Matthew Shepard died. And the country got embroiled kind of in this debate of does God love LGBTQ people? It was kind of brewing before that, right? The animosity that religious people had for LGBTQ community came to a boiling point in the middle of the AIDS crisis. So people were literally dying here in San Francisco at the same time people were like, I don't know, should God love them? Which is more than just bad theology. It's sin, right? I don't call a lot of things that, but it's abusive to tell people in the middle of a pandemic
0: yeah.
1: yep. that God isn't with them when yeah. they're dying. And so, um, so I kind of come out of this, this time in church history where they had just gone through this stuff with the AIDS crisis and, and fervent, angry people and act up, kind of battling against each other. Then Matthew Shepard dies in the late 90s, and in my campus, what that meant was that um, because I was, I was like the president of the Gay Straight Alliance at the time, right? Mm. You can see that little me like Yep, Way the pride on the prairie. That's what we called it. Twelve of us <laughs> meeting at a picnic table in a park.
0: Oh, with uh, flags. I love it.
1: <laughs> no, we all played folk music on our guitars. Oh my God. <laughs> Classic pride. <laughs> so uh, so um, Matthew Shepard dies. Drunk football players start knocking on my dorm room doors like trying to like make me not queer and um, I had been a musician in the in the chapel Uh, you could like play music and have like a role in the like worship service and people started like singing hymns and like throwing holy water on me to try to get rid of gay demons Um, and I just didn't know what to do with that. I just started, I would like sing harmony because I was like I don't know what are you trying to do and I I knew in my gut that God loved me and named me and claimed me and could never take that away and so I um, wanted to learn how to have words to express what I kind of like knew inside to be true right this ethos that there's you don't need points to get to heaven that you can't screw up what God already did like I just needed words to explain it to other people and I ended up taking enough classes to be a religion major, kind oh. of, of struggle of trying to communicate with other people, like, eh. right? And so, um, I actually graduated a year early, so I did college in three years. And um, around that time, the campus pastor said, "Well, well, kind of everyone in my life had said you should be a pastor," and I was like, eh, "That's a dumb job." Um, I stand by it. I was right. People think it's just the robes. They think it's the robes and it's the fancy part, but there's a lot of toilet unclogging that oh, happens. Some
0: sexy stuff. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Or if there's deep family conflicts, but you don't believe in therapy and you go to your pastor to figure it out. Like that's mess. That's the messy stuff. Right. Yeah. Um. So my journey to being a pastor was a little bit more on the, uh, I don't know side. <laughs> And, but I just always ended up being the person where if someone was going to like burst into tears because they had a bad breakup on public transit, they were going to sit next to me every time. Mm -hmm. Being in the place where a pastor was needed. Um, And I, so I kind of got worn down to the idea that I should go to school. And the thing that really brought me to that place is I was, I was working at a residential care facility for kids who had been abused or neglected. Um, so for kids age three to 12. And uh-huh. so they lived in this like group home setting. And this kid who was about six years old, uh, we'll call him Joshua. He um, sat on my lap. We were like watching Veggie Tales. You know Veggie Tales. It's oh, like yeah. singing cucumbers that tell you the meaning of the Bible. Yeah. And, uh, and he had tried to kill himself like 12 times. Six Six years old. old. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. And and thank goodness he was bad at it and was not successful. Right. And he wouldn't tell anyone why. So he was like living in this group home because he wouldn't tell anyone why. He just kept trying to harm himself. And one day he crawls on my lap, veggie tails are on and he just said, I I need to die before I'm so bad that God will send me to hell. Mm. He had heard from a pulpit somewhere that God will, put you in a burning fire if you don't behave a certain way. And he just thought, I'm bad. I get in trouble. I should Mm. die now so I can for sure go to heaven. Wow. And I just, something in in my heart just said, go be, like, go train to be a pastor right now so there's one less pulpit where someone hears BS. Yes. I literally drove from South Dakota to Berkeley to the, the Lutheran seminary here, like in two days, uh, you should stop and sleep more often than that.
0: Uh, <laughs> you are on a mission, literally. <laughs> <I love you. laughs> we oh, are here.
1: Desert. I don't need to see it. I will drive through it at night. So, <laughs> Why Berkeley? Well, so because there were like three or four Lutheran seminaries at the time. And at, at the time that I went to, to baby pastor school it was against church policy for LGBT people to serve openly as pastors. Mm. And so, um, but thank goodness, back in the 1500s, there's this, this writing that Martin Luther did that was central to the Reformation that I know you have memorized. It's called of the Small Called Articles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has memorized. In the middle, but you already know that, Small called mm. Articles. Yeah. It's a boring little document except for all the fun ways that Martin Luther insults the Pope. Oh, like dog poop eating its own and then vomiting it and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> wow, that's how Luther thought the Pope was. But he knew back in the fifteen hundreds that if you required people to be celibate who weren't called to be celibate, that really dangerous things happen in society. Right? That abuse happens. Damn. That forethought. 50%. Yeah. All that has been happening. I mean, the Reformation was about the ability for clergy to get married as one part of it. And so um, Martin ends up like being this weird matchmaker that starts marrying each other. And he gets married because this this nun, Catherine Von Bora, is like, you will marry me.
0: and <laughs> Love
1: her. She <laughs> make her own pub and they have a bowling alley. So it uh, turns out fine for him. Um, <laughs> So there is this ancient writing that says, when bishops try to say you have to be celibate, ignore them. And churches can call pastors anyway, who aren't celibate. And so the rule in the Lutheran church was not that LGBTQ people couldn't be pastors. It was that they had to be celibate. Wow. And so we had this ancient text that told us what to do when bishops try to do that. And so I was one of about Um, 16 pastors who got ordained extraordinarily so we defied the rules of our national church and followed the older small called article rules um, and got ordained during this time period when it wasn't allowed so to speak Um, I got a call from her church the goddess church on top of Portola yes Christ Church, who only uses Lord language in the sunset, St. Francis Lutheran, who uses gender neutral language for, for God. And then Santa Maria e Santa Martha, who, who uses senior for God, because all four of those congregations wanted to make kind of a justice stance that yes, you could hire um, a trans person, a gender uh, queer, gender queer is what we talked about at the time. Right. Um, and my full-time call then was to care for the homeless and hungry in San Francisco. Um, and, um, so I did that for 12 years before coming here to Grace Lutheran. So it's it's um, it's been an interesting journey. So in 2009, I got ordained in 2006. In 2009, the ELCA voted to change their disgraceful policy, and they said now you can be pastors.
0: Wow!
1: It was a vote of 66.6 percent which people thought was like 666 kind of thing. <laughs> oh and God. a tornado hit the building at the exact moment that they that we voted. I was there. Right? So, no, it's all wow. true. Wow. And so the policy changes. Then the Lutheran Church had a special service. Uh, and I was one of the first seven pastors where our original ordination was recognized and we were brought into the Lutheran Church. Wow. And I, I'm one of very few pastors who was ordained extraordinarily, and then the church wanted them to become ordinary.
0: Ordinary. That's incredible. I cook, but wow. <laughs> okay, so during that time, like, what were what were you going through? Like, were you pissed? Were you upset? Were you understanding? I mean,
1: pick a day, right? So mm. for me, I've always been more frustrated and upset for how other people get treated because I. Like in the Midwest, you just sort of like deal with what comes and then right. One day it might be a blizzard, the next day it's a tornado. You just like creep up and rebuild your house. And mm-hmm. so um I kind of I like God and I were good. So I kind of didn't care other people's opinions, right? There's nowhere in the Bible where Jesus is like, you know what, guys, we should take and see what if there's a two-thirds vote whether or not God loves you. Like that's such a ridiculous idea. Like it's so totally. dumb. Yeah,
0: right? yeah.
1: so that doesn't mean like every single day my self-esteem is totally independent. Right. You know what I mean? Like I could just say, I could have a hundred people say positive things and one person sticks it in the wrong spot. And mm-hmm. then I just, mm. so, I mean, I had moments where I was like, I should leave the Lutheran church. I should be a part of a different church. I had moments where um, I just, maybe I should go back to sculpture. Like, <laughs> But I, I kind of what what's been the big gift of all of this is that because I was sort of on the outside of the pastor track. So normally what happens when Lutherans become pastors is is when you're about to graduate, you pick which parts of the country you would be okay living in. And then bishops pick a region of the country your your whole family is gonna move to. Whoa. And, and they don't necessarily have jobs in mind for you. They just send you to like, you can only apply for jobs in that part of the country. And it's very hard to say you're, you want to like limit yourself to a certain region of the world. And so most people get just kind of like sorted around. So they have, cause everybody would want to hang out in San Francisco and no one obviously yeah. um, want to be the pastor in like rural Arkansas, or wherever rural Arkansas is someone's dream, but it's not everyone's dream. And right. so, so they just have this like pastor draft system. Um, I like to imagine that they have like trading cards. <laughs> but I didn't participate in that. So I got to like, like most people have to do their first job at like a traditional congregation. Um, and I got to work with the hungry. Oh. And all that, right. So I got to do what I thought was some of the most meaningful work that you can do. No. And I got to choose which part of the, like, as long as there was a community that was, that also felt like I should do that work and wanted to call me to that work. And obviously I had to like fundraise for my salary, like every nonprofit leader. Ooh. Right. Ooh. and um, So like, as long as there was communal support with it, I, I had a lot more creativity and flexibility in the kind of ministry that I could do. Um, and I, I don't know, I'd like to think that this weird way, like it's come with a lot of pain and occasional death threats, but I have so much freedom and flexibility in the theology. Like I don't run into people who are mad at me very often because they know me already Mm. and they've like self-chosen not to like hang out with me. So I don't have these, the same kind of tough interactions that other people might if they kind of get networked into a job through the church system. Wow. And I think I also, like, because I had to be scrappy to, like, Mm -hmm. make a salary, that meant I did lots of things. So, like, I I wrote books and I made films and I, you know, did all of these really cool collaborations with people around the country, and and most people just don't get that opportunity. And there are some ways in which, because I've been... Um, really hard working and and have been really lucky to get some like social media boost, right? Like Cosmo and um, Queer Eye certainly help that I kind of have more freedom and um, public influence maybe than the pastor might. And so I'm just really grateful that for all the things that have been really hard, there have been a lot of things that have really paid up, paid off in the opposite direction.
0: Wow, that's amazing. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> wow, how did you end up at Grace Lutheran?
1: Um, I was I had been working with the homeless for twelve years, and I I working for a lot of congregations is a lot. Um, and so I kind of just wanted a place where I could worship every Sunday because mm-hmm. I was at different congregations every Sunday. And so I would meet, like if their congregation had like 70 people in it, every single Sunday I'd meet 70 new people. Wow. And 12 years of doing that to like raise your salary, I just, I, d- I felt like I wasn't forming deep connections with people. Like mm-hmm. I knew a lot of people and a lot of people knew me, but I just, I wasn't comfortable with so many people being like, "Hey, it's great to see you!" And I just literally had no idea. Like, yeah, they were important to me, and I and every moment I had with them was meaningful. But I just because I met seventy people every Sunday, I just couldn't have these like deep ties with people. And so I wanted to be a part of a church community, kind of more regularly, mm. and the community. Um, was really interested in a lot of the work that I was doing to kind of care for the world. And so they said, come be our, like, preach here every Sunday. And then when you want to do something with the homeless or you want to do something, like, if you want to train people in nonviolence and go march at protests and make Jesus puppets, that's fantastic, but make that our mission together rather than just your mission. And so it's been this kind of beautiful connection of like having a community of people that also want to kind of like lift up the same stuff and then you know, they help help with all of the fundraising and and our people power for everything and and it's always so fun to like you know like for the last three years now i've trained i've trained all the people who march at the the women's march in san francisco and it's always so great because we have a tiny i mean this has always been kind of a tiny congregation, but um, if you've got six people who want to go on a march, it can feel really wimpy. But if they like join with like forty thousand other people that want to go on a march, you're just like, yes, you get it. <laughs> like, like this seventy <laughs> year old lady in my congregation wants to like volunteers to be the bouncer at the stage every year, and I'm like, yeah, right. Like, love that. It's like we have this kind of um, almost like global outreach, and it. And it kind of balances out. Like maybe there's gonna only gonna be twenty on a Sunday, on a good Sunday. Um, But we're doing such big stuff out there in the world that it feels less selfish.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. Okay, so now that you are indeed a pastor, pastor ring. How does it? (laughs) With a halo or something? Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Um, What like? do you look back and be like, I can't believe I didn't want to do this? Or are you like, I totally get why I didn't want to do this?
1: No, it's a, it's a dumb job. Uh, what they say in seminary is if you have anything else you could ever imagine doing, you should. I love that.
0: <laughs> I love it. Is that to weed you out or is that to just be like brutally honest?
1: It's just honest, I think, because there are very few other jobs that are this public, right? Being a pastor sometimes comes with housing, that sometimes, like other people, own the keys to your house. Mm. And they're gonna show up, right? Cause it's, if they own your housing, right. they just come say hi to you, right? I don't have that situation here, but um, just, I just, I have, here's a scenario where I think we'll illuminate this for you. Mm. Um, once upon a time, have you ever had a moment, you don't have, don't answer, as rhetorical. Have you ever had a moment when you're walking through San Francisco and you think, I think I need a tampon right now. And you go to the Walgreens and you buy one. And then the person at the register checking you out where the only thing you're buying is tampons says, Hey, Pastor Megan, how are you? I loved your sermon last week. And you just think I wish why life was a little more anonymous <laughs> And I need to remember not to ever come to this Walgreens again, right? So <laughs> but that happens to me everywhere. So, like, I like everyone has a day where they want to shout at someone out of their car window because that other person does something that's terrible. Mm-hmm. And I'm always afraid that that person is going to know me as Pastor Megan, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, we, we have a rule in our house that if something needs complaining, my wife is the designated complainer because every single time the person, like at my kid's daycare, the person will go, I'm so sorry this happened. I'm such a big fan of Pastor Megan. <laughs> yeah right but I'm just like but you gotta like care for my kids better, right
0: yeah or, like, I have feedback <laughs>
1: my kid, kindergarten teacher at the end of the year was like I once asked you to pray for me and then you did and I was like I don't remember I'm sorry <laughs> it's a long list <laughs> I mean, I feel, because it meant a lot to me yeah every time but obviously I try not to like that's part of how I'm a confidential person right if I remembered every single thing someone needed from me that's not very confidential right no so it's it's just a weird it's a weird life, and in smaller towns, it's even more acute. So, like, people might gossip about what the pastor bought at the grocery store with each other. Oh,
0: right, right.
1: About a merlot tonight, or whatever <laughs> the thing is. Woo! Like it's saucy, right? So, imagine being a pastor who's dating. I was just going to ask, how did you meet your wife? <laughs> Online, because it's. The only thing harder than than um, coming out as trans in the Christian community is coming out as Christian in the LGBTQ community. Right. Right? And so whenever I would date, uh, I would put in my online profile a picture of me doing communion in robes. Smart. Because if that freaks you out, dude, that's my life. Like, yeah, so weed them out. Weed them out. Not, well, or or if on the other side, people come in hard with the like, Oh, I really wanted to reconcile my spirituality, and I just really <laughs> think you could be good for me. Then I'm like,
0: nope.
1: <laughs> just through the text that like that's going to be a long first date. That was not a date.
0: Uh-uh. Never a date. No. So
1: it's just a weird. It's a weird job. It's uh. not weird to date if you're a religious person. It's weird to apply for job. Like my wife. Um, is in the pol- like my wife can't swear out in front of the church. Right? right. You can't have like a fight in front of the church. Or in front of the church. Right. So um there are things you, you just have to be private about. And I mean it doesn't mean we're like faking it or not being real or not being honest, but it's it's just a weird it's like being a politician but you like don't win an election. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You don't get to pass laws. You just get to 20 minute sermons every Sunday. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah, wow. Barry, it Again, sounds, oh, go ahead.
1: Like, imagine this. So imagine your best family memories are holidays that I am the only one who speaks at. Your wedding wow. that you want to be perfect, I'm the only one talking, except for my. <laughs>
0: right? I do. I do. <laughs> right. So it's all those
1: things. So imagine if you have 15 people in your congregation, each one of them wants their Christmas to be like when they were a small child and right. none of them were the same. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So my Christmas where my kids want to have a sparkly magic Christmas time as well is trying to help 15 families figure out how to bend on some of the stuff that they think must be perfect and so i'm really lucky my congregation is is laid back and they're they like the twinkly lights but they don't want to like micromanage it but in some but it can be a really stressful job depending upon how many expectations
0: are coming to it wow never would have thought of that being perfect in public i definitely would have thought of but and clouds <laughs> we need a whole nativity play. <laughs> or imagine you're
1: a pastor and you sit down on an airplane. Who sits down next and what happens for the next eight hours? Is someone going to yell at you?
0: Oof. Is someone
1: going to cry on you?
0: Oh, wow. Is someone
1: going to preach at you?
0: It sounds no matter what, it's a reaction.
1: No matter who you sit next to on a plane, the answer is I work at a small nonprofit. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Wow. But again, if there was anything else I could do, I would do it, right? right. So it definitely feels like it's what I'm meant to be doing with my life. And it's um, I'm just delighted to be able to have a community that wants to participate in these things with me. And um, it's definitely a big privilege in times like these when so many people are unemployed that my job is to ponder love that I think about things and to support people and to bring them hope that's that's beyond privilege and so i'm i'm grateful all of the time uh, mm-hmm. even even if i gave you the snarky the snarky part up first
0: well you know we got to have snark obviously <laughs> that's why we're here
1: <laughs> well, it's just the parts that people i think don't think about
0: right yeah yeah for sure do you often not wear your collar <laughs> because of this
1: well, it depends on what I'm up to. So the, the Clergy collar is really helpful because it, um, well, right, it covers my voice box, right? And the idea is that it reminds me that I'm not speaking from my own heart. I'm speaking for a community. Wow. And so I like having it when I'm doing an important talk or an important speech or I'm out in public or I'm for sure, like, representing a community. Um, I like wearing it when I'm in spaces where people might have been told that God couldn't love their full fabulousness because if people can see someone like me in clergy robes, sometimes that speaks louder than any words that I might say. And so I the uniform for me is about helping people imagine the possibility that they're sacred. Mm-hmm. And so that for me is priceless and you can't really – I, I can't really get away from that. Also, like, because I was ordained extraordinarily, it means that literally tens, thousands of people lobbied and advocated and marched for 20 years so that I could be a pastor. Wow. For 20 years, they kind of battled this terrible policy in the Lutheran Church, and so I wear the uniform because they worked so hard for me to be able to. Oh, yeah. and, um, and, and I think... That there are the people who my uniform makes angry, who have been injured by churches or by faithful people, deserve apologies. Mm. Their harm is real, and so if I can be someone who is wearing that uniform and gives them the apology that they've been waiting for, and maybe they can get some healing, then then I want to be able to do that too. And so it's more about like making sure I'm centered and well and in a good space, so that. Like when I'm out in the world meeting people who might not have known I was a pastor before I wear the uniform that I.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's How amazing. You? I know fine. my dog. <laughs> I got my guard dog in oh. here. <laughs> um. That is so powerful. I love the symbology of that. I love that. Yeah. That's well, right. and
1: what very few, like the way I think of it is like business people wear a tie right here as a sign that what is guiding them is wealth. Mm. The drive for wealth is, is what is motivating their speech. Right. And so the clergy collar for me is that um, hopefully faith is what is leading my speech. And so, cause it, it comes out of traditions where you wore a different kind of collar in order to signify your profession and what kinds of words were going to come out of your mouth. And so I I like, there's something, I like kind of old timey stuff like that. Maybe it's because I'm from South Dakota. I'm like, I like when things are clear. (laughs) Signal to me. (laughs) Who are you? It's clearly going to rain soon. Did you see it got like super dark in here? Really
0: dark. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is it creaking? Yeah. Ooh, tornado.
1: It's like... It looks like it's going to thunderstorm outside, which is, that's the, okay, can I just tell you, there's, there are things, I I told you things that are hard about being pastor, but can I tell you something that's really awesome about being pastor? Please. So, there are times when you're, like, in the sweet spot of a sermon, and you know everyone's listening, and you're about to say this thing, and it's about to inspire someone, and then you go like this, and, like, a thunder cloud happens, like, right in the same moment. that's a good moment to be a pastor. Right
0: <laughs> How often has that happened?
1: I'll say like three or four, but if you count the number of times at St. Francis, because St. Francis is on Church Street, and so if you count them, if you time it right with the rhythm, the streetcar will shake the whole building, and it's kind <laughs> it's
0: of like a rumble. Yeah, and you're like Jesus, and then. <laughs> it's all coming together yes. <laughs> I like that the answer was more than one that's really amazing that's a miracle yeah. that's many oh, yeah. miracles well because
1: I think like at the beginning of funerals I like to just like people are in such grief that like listening to me focusing on me in the midst of grief that's not a thing that I'm asking of someone And but some people come from faith traditions where you better pay attention like mm. uh, My mom would pinch my knee really hard under the pew where you couldn't see it so that I would like pay attention. So it looked like I'm paying attention. (laughs) Um, And so like some people grew up with that, that like you better pay attention or you're going to get physically hurt under the pew. And, and so like at the beginning of any like funeral that I do, I'm like, if, if, you zone out to something like beautiful or magical or mystical that happens, and that's a better sermon for you today than the words I'm going to say. Like, Ugh. like do it right, and Love so that. you'll be at like a funeral, and all of a sudden, like hummingbirds will float through. I was at a funeral once where um, it was in it was at the the the, um, the Odd Fellows Building. I don't know if you've ever been in there in San Francisco, but you got to put it on your bucket list if you haven't.
0: Okay, you know? cool.
1: So there's a funeral inside the Oddfellows sanctuary and these like ballerinas started dancing through the hallway, like through their class. And it wow. was- like, And so you just have to like, you just have to be open that like some of the things that might make you think, like if it was a play, you'd be mad, right? But it's not a play. It's this, this gathering of people who are just trying to be present to how messy and hard and wonderful life is and so so i just love when things like that pop in to especially to remind people like just because it comes out of my mouth doesn't mean it's like jesus said it like if if the bird's doing it for you like our city is named after saint francis for goodness sake and he used he used to say um preach always uh use words only when necessary right wow yeah. and he was known for like preaching long sermons to the birds instead <laughs> of people which maybe is a sign of what it's like to be a pastor but um <laughs> but if if our city's named after San Francisco then by golly i would think that we could pay attention to all the ways that sacred stuff can pop in and out
0: i love that that's rad oh, <laughs> divine, divine um okay so to dovetail on that and I'm sure you get this question all the time, how do you see God and religion functioning in our modern society? And I say that because I myself grew up in the church and then, you know, right around my teenage years just totally dropped off. I'm coming yeah. back to him recently, which is so fun. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm so curious, like, like, how do you see it functioning?
1: I think that there is... I think God is all over the place, right? Some people have faith in science. Some people have faith in their kids. Some people have faith in, um, I don't know, this is a hard list because right now we don't have faith in a lot. Right. It's all kind of crumbling apart, but some people have faith that their paycheck's gonna come on time. Like there's so many different things that we have faith in. So I think faith is everywhere, right? Whether or not people choose to have faith in an idea of god that's like this or an idea of god that's like this or an idea of god that's like this that's less important to me um i find that my life is enriched by talking through these stories that ancient people put together and that learning the ways that their lives were messy and complicated helps me figure out how to do the best I can with the ways my life is messy and complicated.
0: Love that.
1: Uh, I'm always really saddened that people assume that all of our sacred texts are completed because we bound them and we sold them in stores. Right. And those weren't the only sacred stories. They just stopped adding new ones after a while. And so I, I'm a big proponent of, of people telling their own stories as sacred stories as well. And, um, I think for some people, it's an act of faith to not go to church Mm. because their faith in God is more important to them than the naughty or nice list that a particular community has created that might or might not include them. And so I think a large number of people have left church because they experienced faith leaders as being unkind or unhelpful or just utterly disconnected to what their world was about and I'm, I'm i don't feel the need to like tell people they have to go to church although if, if people do want to go to church it's never been easier right literally you can, you can leave halfway through the sermon no one's going to look at you because you just turn your computer off right you can eat <laughs> jelly. do people do that they just eat jelly
0: I mean, sure. Um. <laughs> Only in your service. <laughs> yeah.
1: But it's like never been easier to go to church. Um, it's never been easier to think about the ways that different faiths connect to each other. Yeah. It's never been easier to just like light a candle. Because like in Walgreens, you can go get a Jose candle. My, my I have a, um, a six and a seven-year-old. And they're very new to like trying to learn how you like buy a present for somebody. Love that. And they're trying to learn the concept that you buy the person what they want. Oh, my God. Instead of what you want, right? (laughs) Because I get, like, LOL dolls so that we could play together.
0: Uh, (laughs) I'm still learning this concept, so I'm curious if you have any tips.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but my – so my kids were like, Papa really likes candles. Papa likes church. So they they would go – we like to do this thing where we just let them walk through Walgreens. Because Walgreens has, like, everything from, like, how to fix your car to, like, Sloppy Joe ice cream or (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> so, so they like they were like Publix candles PubLove's got so they like just picked one of those saint candles and they picked a saint I had like never heard of and it was like Jose the saint of tulips or like something wow and then I mean
0: Love if that. your sister
1: gives it to you you have to like use it so we learned
0: <laughs> I mean, That's so
1: what, Jose of Torres or, or whoever it was right and so I just think like go with the happy accidents and in times like these where the whole world is on shaky ground you don't have to learn a new thing Mm. i know every app's trying to tell you you have to learn a new thing to be calm or well or zen in in trauma like this doing the thing that worked before when you were in trauma is actually the most successful you don't have to learn a new thing right so if you like nature go on a hike and and notice creation and god there. If you like singing, do that. If you like um watching church, watch church. If you like reading prayers, read prayers. But you don't have to like become a Sufi mystic all alone in your house. Because right? of
0: covid, yeah. <laughs> that sounds fun though. I would be interested in that.
1: <laughs> the whirling dervishes, you need a good clean space.
0: Yeah, yes, maybe a bigger apartment that's next on the list. <laughs> that's such good advice. I love that.
1: Yeah. So I think, I think God is everywhere. I think everyone has faith in something. Um, Tune into what you want to tune into, tune out to what isn't working for you and then like mix it up. Have some, have a part of your life. That's about challenging you. Like, like um, anti-racist literature, that's going to push you somewhere in a direction that you need to like learn have some stuff that's going to just comfort you the, where you are. And then like have chocolate for all those in between places. I'm <laughs> you're allergic. Sorry. Me. You're done. Got really mad when I said that. I'm sorry. You can't have chocolate. She's pissed.
0: <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. Stick to what works. No pressure.
1: Stick to what works. And then if you, and if you want to, like if you are curious to like get looped back into your faith, cause it worked when you were younger and now things are hard. Then, like, just do it like baby steps. You wouldn't yeah. like, you wouldn't like dive head first into a strange liquid that's outside. You'd like tip your toe in. You'd like see if other people are swimming in it. Yeah. <laughs> How healthy are they? Right.
0: Yeah. Wait till they get out. <laughs> There's signs of danger. Yeah, I love that. That's amazing. Amazing. Okay, well, I can't let you go without talking about being on Queer Eye. How did it happen? What was, like, how did they reach out to you? And then what was your process working with a hero? Because you, every time I watch it, I cry. You're so amazing. And I really want to hear the story of the, um, I don't know what it's called, but it's like a cool pastor scarf that you get. Oh, the stole. The stole. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The stole, the pastor's stole is supposed to be a symbol of being yoked to God like an oxen.
0: Whoa. Okay. Cool. It fun. Uh, <laughs> the dog just laughed a little bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, So it's, I think the idea is that like God's planting a garden or something and we're the oxen, I don't know. Or I like the idea too that like oxen, when they're like pulling the plow, like if the oxen are leading, you're kind of like taking God where you're going, right? Mm, yeah. Love that. You got to pull God somewhere, but. So who knows which way it goes, but it's the it's like a long scarf that goes over you. We wear different colors for different times of the year, and um, yeah. So I got that stole uh, on my ordination date. It had been passed to the sixteen different pastors as we had been ordained outside of the ordinary rules of the church. Um, so, when each of us got ordained, we passed it on to the next one. And then, when the policy changed, we had like this service that was like, Yay, change. We don't have to pass this on anymore. But then, some of the like LGBTQ seminarians were like, But we want to wear it too. And so, oh my they <laughs> so cool. um So, then I, I got it back because I wore it in the Cosmo shoot that I did. Oh, nice. um, in the, the Cosmo video, they wanted to film me putting on my, my pastor robes. And so I put on the white robe, which symbolizes my baptism. And then I put on the red stole. And then for anyone who knows about church, usually you would put, there's like a picnic table like thing that goes over the top for the person who's doing communion. It's called the chasuble. Mm. So I put the chasuble over the top, but instead of putting a red one to match the red stole, I put a green one on. Wow. Um, Green is the symbol for ordinary times, and so it's the color that I wore when the Lutheran Church brought me back into the church. Yeah. So the first, so I put on the red stole to represent being ordained outside of the rules, and then the green to represent being brought back in. And so, mm. um, so I had the red stole, and I just kept thinking like. I have to pass this on to someone, but like how and what and why, and how is this going to work? And, um, so I got a a call from the Queer Eye producers and, um, and they were kind of, they didn't give me any details about what was happening, but they were kind of like, here's the scenario, here's what we're thinking. Um, and just like super respectful, like, because I think, um, Caring for a pastor feels different, right? Oh. Like they were doing renovations in a church.
0: <laughs> and so You don't want
1: to like make a commute. Their, their whole goal is to like care for someone and to have something that they want to go well. And so um, and so they just, I think I just said like, well, would you like me to like come and be present and, and, wow. and support this person? And I just thought I was going to come. Because at the end of every show, they just have, like, a party. And so I just was like, you want me to just come to the party and, like, root for this person? Because that's kind of, like, what I do. That would be fun. And they were like, oh, yeah, you should do that. Um, <laughs> and then I think somewhere along the way, they were like, ooh, this could be good. And so um, we connected up with Bishop Guy and uh, went out to Philadelphia for a couple days. And it's it all just kind of happens the way it is on air, right? We just... Wow sit down and have a conversation and um, I don't know you probably couldn't see that I was actually crying at the time too no
0: could not see that I was like Megan has got it together
1: but I had thought about
0: it I I kind of like you know you kind of like in the
1: same way that you have like on any wedding that I do you know you kind of think about like oh there's another fun thing how do you decide what you're going to wear to someone else's wedding (laughs) for the day robe maybe but most people don't want the robe so yeah wow um, so yeah so imagine me having to figure out what shirt to wear to go to queer eye (laughs) you want to be the you want to help the hero you don't want to need to be the hero right
0: um. yes yes
1: so I did I I actually here's the fun fact uh my my shirt that I ended up deciding on I got from Ross dress for less yes I love that it was like, cool. I needed. I just needed options to see where my self-esteem was that day.
0: Love that. Love and that. Could,
1: like pick what was working for me. It was 105 degrees. Yeah, I was going to say
0: day. that was a hot episode.
1: Yeah. And I was wearing, I ended up wearing a church robe to the worship service. So it was 105 degrees. I'm wearing my regular outfit and then the robes. It was, there was a lot of fanning. And anywhere. you had
0: that like bright, like rainbow flag fan going. And I'm like, dude everyone in this church is falling
1: apart. <laughs> well, because they warned me that it would be warm, so I went to the Castro, and I went to the hardware store in the Castro. You know which one I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the hardware store, and I was like, it's going to be crazy hot. I need a great fan. Oh, like love that. With. And all the little gay boys were like, ooh, here's some fans we can get you. And so um <gasps> and... Yeah, I, 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 I had to. Out. They had like a name brand on it, and so I like whited it out so that it could be on TV. But
0: oh, nice! Yeah, it's the
1: it's the sweatiest I've ever been while preaching. Or I guess <laughs> I wasn't. It's the sweatiest I've ever been in in church robes. So. Oh my god!
0: Yeah, you wore it well. You wore it very well.
1: Fly back to the natural air conditioning of the Bay Area. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I love that. So when you sat down with him, like. Did you know what you were going to say because he like what you said to him clearly was such a game changer and it was so cool. It was just so cool to see you two interacting.
1: Yeah, well I I didn't really know. I think what I think what was maybe clear that that you could see through the show is that I've had that conversation maybe thousands.
0: Of times. Wow.
1: Um, and one of the number one things, because I had such a public, a public journey of being a pastor who was always out. Um, there, there were a number of people who like knew who I was, but every time they saw me, instead of like saying hi, they would feel shame because they weren't as out as me and they weren't as public um, as me. I never knew this, right, but I, right, so right, I. I don't know if it's been thousands, but I've had conversations similar to that one hundreds and hundreds of times. And so I I could kind of guess the place that, that Noah was in. Um, and so I could kind of like imagine how the conversation would go, but I didn't know he was going to talk about a kid coming out in his congregation. And I'm just the kind of person kind of typically in my regular life where I'm like, let me tell you, Right? So I, my goal was to, like, make sure Noah knew whatever happened before, during, after this film showing, that I was going to be a cheerleader for him. Mm-hmm. And, I think, and I think that came across and I wanted Noah to know that he wasn't alone, right? That there were other pastors who had been through this before. And I wanted him to know, literally, that Like, I think this is what maybe queer people don't always remember right now. And it's that even by being in the closet, even by doing the least you could do, you are still living the dream of the people in the past. Wow. Right? Just being able to understand yourself, being able to have the bravery to think about how you're going to live in the world. Like, that is already from a history perspective, like you are more already than their, what their dream was. So if you come out and fail, if you come out and everyone hates you, like, like if you think about it only from your own journey of like, ooh, this is gonna be a tough time in my life. Yeah, that's a dreadful, tough thing to go through. But if you think about it, like, like I, I often think about like the pastors who died during the AIDS crisis, their deepest dream would have been to be ordained even if they couldn't be out. Right. And so, but they didn't make it to the day when the Lutheran church was able to like be proud of them. Right. And, and so I just, I think of things kind of from a different wow. perspective, which maybe is part of living in San Francisco, where I don't know if you feel it, but there's a missing generation. Mm. There's just a, a decade of gay men that don't exist. Mm. And so, like when someone like Bevan Dufty gets elected to politics and you're like, the fact that you are alive is a miracle because there's no one else from your generation.
0: Right.
1: You're gone. And so I I feel that presence really deeply in San Francisco. I don't know, I don't know that people feel it as strongly in other parts of the country, but you can just mm. Maybe it's because there are so many out gay people, it's more obvious that there's a generation that's just gone. And so I, I just wanted to like help no one know like, number one, there's this whole group of people who are rooting for you. Um, number two, like you're already doing enough even if everything falls apart from here and to just kind of change that perspective. and. Noah kind of already knew. Noah knew all of that stuff. They just needed that external validation and um, and to do it. And so that's so cool. Yeah. Noah's so sermon awesome. day that that he preached at that worship service was phenomenal. Mm. And so I just I know that Noah is such kind of a because Noah and I still talk to each other. And so Noah Noah is just doing really awesome things. Oh, good. Supporting the, the Black Lives Matter um, protests kind of that all happened
0: Whoa. in the
1: neighborhood as Noah's congregation. And so um, I just, I couldn't be more proud of, of Noah and, and what he's up to.
0: That is so cool. And I love, I love picturing like what you, what you kind of brought out of him happening both in your church and then also just like through your social media presence and um, these online services because it's so powerful.
1: Yeah, I mean, I probably got anywhere between 100 and 1,000 messages a day um, for June and July. Wow. Just of people saying, um, I saw you on Queer Eye, I want to reconnect with God. Or yes. I'm not doing well, I might want to harm myself. Or I needed to hear that, you changed my whole life. And so it's um, it's been... It's overwhelmingly wonderful, but it's also a lot to carry for folk. And so I just yeah. think about like, what a gift it is for those people who reached out um, and needed care. And yeah. so I, yeah. I, think, I think it's just been a wonderful thing all around. Oh, that's amazing. And they edited me to be real fun and. and uh, like, they edited you to be
0: your natural self. <laughs> <laughs>
1: be on a tv show be on one where they edit you better (laughs) yeah yeah
0: yeah (laughs) but
1: that was I would say that was my um my biggest takeaway from that show was that um like some of the producers still reach out and are like rooting for me to like yeah just just for the sake of rooting for me and and I don't find that kind of community a lot of places and so yeah um, I've been really appreciative to just be a part of something that is encouraging people to better their lives. And Love I don't know that. about you, but my family needed a little bit of queer eye in the midst of our sheltering in place.
0: Oh, yeah. Left. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've been like savoring it, which is weird. <laughs> Normally
1: <laughs> you know, i a binge. kid ...who takes, who predicts when the next season will come out and then evenly divides the time to watch. Oh, my God. It. Oh my God.
0: I love this. this so smart. I just
1: it so you'd feel better about saving
0: it. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, oh my god! Well, oh, my dog is so excited about that. <laughs> um, I I could talk to you forever. So thank you so much for your time today. Um, I'm curious, one, if you would give our listeners a blessing, and sure. two, if you can tell us, and this is a weird order, but it's happening, um, where we can find you on social media so we can um, keep up with the with the good vibes.
1: Okay, um, well, so I'm at M-M-R-O-H-R-E-R, so M-M-R-O-R, um, most everywhere. But if you just type in uh, Pastor Megan and San Francisco, you can find me. Love that. Meganroar.com, But it's the H. I'm, my people are from Switzerland, and so there's an H in the middle of my last name and a lot of ours,
0: so. Very confusing. We'll find yeah. Pastor Megan, we'll find you. And I'll link this all below for everyone. Yeah, good job. You did all the hard work for them. (laughs) You want me to bless people? Would love that. Okay. We're having a lot of hand movement right now for those of you that are not watching the video.
1: (laughs) Well, it's because, so I'm used to, in my role of a chaplain, when I pray kind of on behalf of the city, it has to be interfaith stuff. So you don't pick one religion over the other. And so naturally as a pastor, I just make like blessing symbols in the shape of a cross. But I've taught myself to like, if I start doing a cross to like make non-offensive squiggles afterwards. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> kind of covers everything. And I think it's like, I think I'm trying to just like etch a sketch. Yes. In a in case it offends anyone. So, <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So if you're, if you're listening from wherever you're listening to, you can, you can imagine I'm doing the exact shape of blessing that you needed, right? Yes. Uh, uh, so my blessing is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, beloved by God exactly as you are, and even if God isn't your thing, you're still blessed, right? I'm going to add a blessing for the dog. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, And honestly, here's a blessing for everyone who is worried during this time, everyone who feels lost during this time, anyone who feels like their mental health needs some support during this time. Know that I am rooting for you, that community is rooting for you, and that the mystical spirit that holds our world together is rooting for you. And And as I say in all of our worship services, live forgiven, Mm. claim your wholeness, and
0: go in peace. Oh, love that. Thank you, Pastor Megan. This has been amazing. All right, Megan Rohr, everyone. Pastor Megan, I hope you enjoyed. I absolutely loved our conversation. I am so inspired by them. And I'm so glad that they stuck to their path because, wow, um, Megan is clearly healing a lot of individuals, which is amazing. Um, And if you haven't watched the Queer Eye episode, I highly, highly recommend watching it. Megan plays such a quintessential role in helping the hero, which is the person that they do the makeover on. So super fun to watch and also just, you know, soul satisfying. Um and I'm so touched that so many people reached out to Megan after that episode. That's um that's so cool to hear. And if you like this episode, please share with a friend. Maybe they're um off their spiritual path or interested or have Um, Just a curiosity about dope-ass pastors that are here in San Francisco. And we'll be back here next week with Dr. Corey, who's a fabulous naturopathic doctor down in Venice, California. And we're going to be talking about how to better take care of ourselves during this crazy lockdown.